2, Ephesians chapter 2. While you turn, I'd like to thank you on behalf of about 20 of the fellas from TCC who were allowed to go last weekend and skip church. And we had a men's retreat out in the woods. There was fishing and shooting and camping and good grub. And we had a good time around the word, specifically focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was a jolly old time. So if it smelled better last week here, it's because the dudes were gone. And we enjoyed it. Thanks for letting us do that. I want to pray for us this morning in our time together. And then I'm going to begin reading a portion of chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians. So, let me pray for us. God, I love this song. You are at the center. Christ is at the center. Jesus is at the center of your church. You're at the center of your word. According to Paul, you're at the center of all reality. Everything is coming together in Jesus Christ. And so it is today, God, that we gather to praise Him, to give glory to You, and we pray that during this time, the gospel, the good news of Jesus will go forth, and we will be edified by the preaching of Your Word. Change us now by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and read the text for us. This is Ephesians 2. I'm going to start in 17. We'll get the clip right at the end of the chapter in chapter 2. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 17. You can follow along as I read. Verse 17. And he, now above, this is clearly Christ Jesus, okay? And Christ Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, again, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, Jesus, You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul ends chapter 2. Each year at our annual women's seminar, we like to play a game. Now, I'm there as a teacher, not as a woman. But we play a game where uh, we play a song that thematically matches what we're talking about at the seminar, and we try to guess the artist, right? And because of my age and station in life, I'm often accused of being stuck in the 90s. So this year, I intentionally didn't use 90s music, just to show my diversity. But as I was reading through this text this week, a song from the 90s popped into my head. And honestly, I hadn't thought about this song in 25 years. It's crazy how the mind works. But we're going to play that game now. I'm going to read the lyrics to a song, and I want to see if you know the artist. All right? Now, I'll give you the hint. The hint is the genre. It's Christian music, Christian pop. So if you didn't listen to Christian music, or that's not your thing, 
you may be disqualified. 1993, the number one Christian song went like this. See if you know who the uh, who the singer was here. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to kind of. I'm going to kind of. I might sing the chorus. I might sing the chorus. It may it may land if I speak it kind of middle aged white guy spoken words. So that'll be cool. Here it goes. Here's the lyrics. Here's the here's the first verse. I don't know if you got some shelter, say a place to hide. I don't know if you live with friends in whom you can confide. I don't know if you got a family, say a mom or dad. I don't know if you feel love at all, but I bet you wish you had. Come and go with me to my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house. You got it. Who sang that song? Oh, I heard her first audio Adrenaline baby? Yeah. We're going to sing that to close the service. <laughs> not, not really, but that was the number one song. And I thought to myself, I wasn't an audio adrenaline fan per se. I suffered through the 90s music, but I didn't follow them. Why did that come up in my brain during my holiest of holy times studying for the sermon? Why did that come up? Well, I think... It's because that song has some themes that are timeless and they match up with this text, even though the text is 2,000 years old. Here's the two themes. You may have caught them. First, in this audio adrenaline song and in our text, you, you see a desire for community. You hear that in the lyrics. I don't know if you got some shelter, a place to hide. I don't know if you live with friends in whom you can confide. I don't know if you've got family, say a mom or a dad. And I don't know if you feel love at all, but I bet you wish you had, right? It's a desire for community. And secondly, in that song, you see an expression that unfailing community for all can only be found in God. That's why he says, come and go with me to my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big house. It's big enough for all of us. All people, all ethnicities can come into my father's house. It's really the only solution for our innate desire for community. So when Paul gets to this text, he's sending a message. It's almost like in uh, Star Wars, Episode 4, the iconic scene when the rebellion and the Republic seems doomed and Princess Leia sends a message. And the message says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Paul is saying, Jesus Christ is your only hope. Help me. Jesus, you're my only hope for community. I have longings. I have desires. I want to feel connected. And in Christ, you will feel this true, genuine, intimate connectivity. This relational closeness can only truly be accomplished by Jesus Christ. So with that backdrop in mind, here's an outline that we'll talk about today. First point, Jesus is your gateway. I want to talk about your gateway to community and your experience of community. That'll be verses 19 through 22. All right, so let's first talk about your gateway 
to intimate, true community. Let's look back in verse 17 again and read that again. Look what Paul says. He says, and he, Christ Jesus, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. Now note the word peace. It's repeated twice. And this is where I get the notion of community wrapped up in this text. Peace here carries with it all of the fullness of the Hebrew expression shalom. Shalom. This week, TCC is sending out a team to Asia, small team, to go and encourage the Bible translation project we've been involved with for over 10 years. And David and Lorraine Coker are leading up that project in Asia. And as I read this text, I thought back to 2013 when David and Lorraine had their uh, last little baby girl. They sent out a baby announcement, and they told us all that they named her Shalom. They named her Gabrielle Shalom. And David explained why he picked that name. I just wanted to read it to you here. I think I've shared this before, but it really does explain the peace that Paul's talking about. Shalom means peace, but it's not the mere absence of conflict, nor just an inner feeling of peace. It is a relational peace that denotes well-being, wholeness, completeness. God's shalom restores the brokenness that sin brought between God and mankind and between people and brings wholeness and rightness into these relationships. It is through Christ, the Prince of Peace, and the cross that we can come to experience this shalom with God and with one another. So we named our daughter Gabrielle Shalom. Our prayer is that she would be a woman who finds her strength in God, a woman who serves Him, proclaims the good news. Our prayer is also that our life would be characterized by shalom. Shalom with God and shalom with others. This peace here is crucial to what Paul is talking about. It is this intimate community. So in verse 17, Paul is summarizing the argument that he's made previously in the text. We've already preached through that, so I'm not going to go back over there through you, but uh, here's what he's saying. God has fashioned relational completeness or intimate community in two distinct yet overlapping sets of relationships. First, God in Christ has brought community or peace between Gentiles, those who were far off, And Jews, those in this text who are near. In God's church, all ethnic groups can find community. That's the first set of relationships that result in community. The second set is, of course, between all humans and God himself. Reconciliation has now been accomplished in Jesus Christ so that God and people can live in a sweet, unified community. Now, it's interesting to note how Paul begins to make this argument here. As he often does, he looks back to the Old Testament and he smuggles some of these Old Testament concepts and verses back into what he is writing. Here, primarily, we think he's using a couple of texts from Isaiah. The first one is Isaiah 52, verse 7. In which Isaiah the prophet said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. 
Isaiah longed for the restoration of Israel's fortunes and the community of his people. But he also looked beyond that to an end-time reality where peace would reign through God himself. And that was supposed to happen through the Messiah, the coming one, Jesus Christ. So Paul has that text in mind as he's writing. Secondly, and more explicitly, Isaiah 57, 19. Where the prophet writes, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. And Paul is going to restructure. You see the double peace in this verse? He's going to redistribute it in Ephesians 2, 17, the verse we're looking at. And he's going to apply one peace to the Gentiles who are far. And he's going to apply another peace to the Jews who are near in order to show a sharing of peace. It's meant to highlight the abounding community to be find to be found chiefly in the church. Now look at verse 18. Paul says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through him, we both have access in one spirit. To the Father. The for there is meaning the basis for. In other words, the only way that we can have peace or community is through Jesus Christ and his death. Let's wrap our heads around a couple things here. First, it is through the death on the cross of Jesus that the barrier of the Old Testament law is removed. Okay, Paul has already explained this. But in short, the Old Testament law functions somewhat as a partition or a fence that kept the Jewish people safe from the pagan influences. But it also separated these two groups of people. So when Christ came, he abolished this fence in the sense that the hostility was removed between the Jews and the Gentiles, and everyone could have sweet community through Jesus Christ. All ethnic groups can be a part of Jesus' church as one. That's why Paul can now say here in this verse, through him we both, hear that community talk? Through him we both in one spirit. Right? That's community talk. We're in this together. We are one just as the Spirit of God is one. So there's a togetherness point he's making here. But also, secondly, what do the Jews and Gentiles have in verse 18 together? What do they have? They have access, right? Christ's death is the gateway to communion with God. Paul wants you to know that and remember it this morning. Christ's death is the gateway to communion with God. He's the only pass key. He's the entrance code to find true, intimate community. Jesus said as much, right? A couple verses from the book of John that highlight this. You'll remember John 10. Jesus is talking, verse 7. Jesus said to his followers, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the what? I'm the door. I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me, they're thieves and they're robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am 
the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Hear that community talk? He'll find pasture, sweetness, fulfillment, grazing, rest. That's the talk and the hope of the community that Jesus provides. John 14, 6. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, that would be an awful statement if he did not continue. No one comes to the Father, exception clause, except through me, right? Jesus taught that he is the gateway to true community. As I mentioned in the men's retreat, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since we're looking forward to Easter now, I just wanted to remind you of a story in Acts 4. What was happening in Acts 4 is Peter and John were talking, and they had just experienced the resurrection of Christ. And so they were preaching about the resurrection, but they were also preaching through the power of the resurrection. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead was in them and was preaching through them, and they were healing people in this power. And to beat all, they pointed to the future and said, you're all going to be resurrected like Jesus if you believe in him. And as they were doing this, it upset the religious leaders. So they hauled them in, they arrested them, and they put them on trial. They didn't count on Peter and John bringing with them an actual person who had been healed. And this is what we find out in the story. This is how Peter and John make their defense in Acts 4, beginning in verse 9. They say, if we're being examined today, remember they're on trial. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Uh, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, Jesus, this man the crippled man is standing now well before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Paul's going to talk about that cornerstone a little bit in a minute. We'll get there. But verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, said Peter and John, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why we're doing Bible translation for 10 years among an unreached people group in China. They haven't heard this name. That's why after the second service, not this service, after the second service, we're going to clear out these chairs so we can have people gather here tomorrow night and we will pray fervently that Muslims whom we love in this community will hear the name of Jesus and will access the sweet community of God through his death. And that's why we invite everyone here today to take faith in the Christ of the cross and the Jesus of the resurrection because he does not turn anyone away who comes to him with open arms and says, you are the king. I need you for life. I see you're the only way to the Father. If that's you here today, we say come. Come and trust in Jesus and you will experience the deepest intimate community in the galaxy that's possible. We invite you to this today. The irony here is kind of thick, right? If we have a desire for community to belong and God says, you know how you belong? 
You have a relationship with a singular person. It seems almost counterintuitive. It's certainly counterculture because in our culture, what you will hear is the way to community is not just to love everybody, but to love everyone's ideas, right? So if you love and accept everyone's ideas about God, then you'll experience community. To be exclusive in your thinking, thinking that only Jesus comes, the culture will say, that will isolate you. God says, it is only through this narrow gate, Jesus, that you can actually broaden your relational experience and your community. The resurrection itself proves that we have a God of life. All other gods are gods of death. Without a God of life, you cannot have living community. And that's Paul's point. He's looking back at the death of resurrection Jesus, and he's saying, that's it. That's the gateway. That's the only way you can have community. Speaking of looking back, I don't know if you ever look back at some of your old photos and uh, you, you think, man, how in the world could I have worn that? Or I can't believe I was that chubby when I was a baby, something like that. All right, I have a joke for you. Are you ready? Now, don't, don't shake your head now. Got to take a break? Yes, thank you. Someone's clapping before the joke. All right, so you know, <laughs> you know what the adult cat said when she looked back at her old photos. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's not bad. Not bad. Oh, we needed a break. We're not looking back anymore. Now, Paul, in the tech, he begins to look forward. A late laugh. Okay, I'll take a late laugh. So let's keep going forward. Paul has looked back at Jesus Christ being the gateway to the Father. Now let's experience, let's explore how we experience community. Paul's going to go at great lengths now to describe in different ways how we experience community. So listen now in the text for three pictures of how we now can experience the community of God. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and give you the three pictures, and then I'm going to read the text. All right, so the first picture that God uses, the first metaphor, is of belonging to society. All right, he's going to use pictures that are familiar to you to teach you what it's like to know God deeply. Secondly, the metaphor of having a home And thirdly, he'll use the metaphor of the temple. That third one might be a little alien to us because we don't have a temple in in our society, except pagan ones maybe. But we'll talk about that. So here's here's, here's how he says it in the text, beginning in verse 19. So then, says Paul, and that's because you have community with God and one another, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, Jesus, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So first, let's consider this metaphor of belonging to society that Paul uses. See it in verse 19. Don't miss it. You are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Okay, he's using the metaphor of belonging to society. I told you that TCC is sending a small team to China this week. They leave out Tuesday. And my daughter is going on this trip. And so I was asking her, uh, what makes you nervous? What are you anxious about? I want to pray for you. And she said, well, I'm not that anxious about being in China because we'll be with the translators and they can translate everything. But until we get there, we'll be in a couple of airports where there won't be much English spoken. And then we have to spend a night in a hotel. We have to find that hotel and we have to figure everything out and it won't be in English and I'm nervous about that. And you felt that if you've ever traveled to a culture where you don't speak the language they speak or uh, even greater perhaps if you're an immigrant here in our country. Even more poignant, uh, think about modern day Syria, right? Remember... And know that since the war, um, over half of pre-war Syria has either been forced into migration or has been killed. That's 12 million people have had this experience. And recently I read an article where they were interviewing the youth of Syria who have been forced to migrate. And you could just sense, even though they were hopeful, Man, they were displaced in every sense of the word. There's this one girl that I read about. Her name was Dahlia. She was a straight A student in engineering before she got displaced. And uh, she had to put her dream on hold. She wanted to become a flight engineer. And they interviewed her and she said, well, I always had a clear goal in life. But now I'm trying, but I'm always living in limbo. Right? Another guy was interviewed. He said, we're lost now as Syrian youth, and we don't know what to do. Another guy was interviewed, and he said, you know, I could go back home to where I'm not an alien, but to do so, I would have to join the war and start killing people, and I don't want to do that. You can hear that they're now strangers. They're now aliens, and God chooses this picture of migration because he wants to prick your emotions, okay, He wants to teach you the reality of what it is to be rescued by Jesus. For it's only through our participation in the death and resurrection of Christ that we can become citizens and saints. Those Syrian youth, they were reaching for something that wasn't there. They're treading water, but they feel like they're drowning because there's no hope to become citizens. But in Christ... We belong. In Christ, we have a wholeness. In Christ, we are connected to this great heavenly city. We belong, not as strangers or aliens, but as fellow citizens with all the other citizens who have trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are one as a redeemed society flourishing For the glory of God. One thing I enjoy about community at TCC. Is we have a small group of community people. That meet every week in my house. And another person's house. We have a community group. And what we do there is not flashy. But we open the Bible every week. And we read it. We discuss it. We pray for each other. And that's part of how I experience community. And this week in our community group. We were looking ahead at this text. 
right? And we were discussing that. And one guy in our group who works in the tech field here in Raleigh, uh, he made this observation. He stopped as we were reading. He said, I, I just see in this text that Jesus Christ has delivered where technology has failed, right? And he went on to explain, you know, that, uh, of course, technology in many ways is a useful acquaintance, but he is a poor lover, right? Over and over, the forked tongue of technology has dripped with the lies, dripped with the poison that we can be ultimately connected through it, and yet it's failed. Think of social media, for instance, some good things happening, but there's also a result of silos and echo chambers, the great bliss and social connectivity that was supposed to happen with the movement of social media just hasn't delivered. But in Christ, we can find what we obviously long for. Connection with each other, connection with God himself. Now, the second image here in the text, as we move forward, it's found in verse uh, 19 and 20. It's the image of a home to teach you about community, right? Verse 19. We're now members of a household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Paul is now going to use the image of a constructed home to represent the idea that we experience community with God as family, right? There's a piece of domestic architecture that he's describing that has a solid foundation. That solid foundation is the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, later in Ephesians, he'll bring this up again in chapter 3. He'll say this mystery of the Gentiles uniting with the Jews was given by the Spirit through the apostles and the prophets here. Who were the apostles? Well, that's Paul himself Timothy, Barnabas, the original guys that were sent out to the Gentiles with this message of hope. That's the foundation of our family. Also, the prophets. Prophets were those in the church who spoke in a special, God-ordained, wise way into particular circumstances or the circumstance of the church as a whole. We could be talking about the Old Testament prophets here, but you get the point. Their teaching and their faithfulness are the very foundation of your community with one another. The apex of this foundation is Christ himself. He's called the cornerstone. He provides strength and guidance. He's both our anchor and our beacon. Now, what does it mean to experience community with God and his people as family? I read an article this week by Gavin Ortland. And he spoke of this both theologically and personally. So I wanted to look at it through that lens. So theologically, what does it mean to experience God as family? So first, you have a father. The father is the divine lover who predestined us for adoption and sent his son to rescue us. Second, you have the son. The son of God is our redeemer who loved us and redeemed us from the law's threat of punishment. How? By becoming a curse for us. And thirdly, the Spirit enables us to cry out to God as Father for salvation and assures us within that we are God's children. All right? 
That's what being in the family of God looks like theologically. But what about more personally? What does it mean? Well, in that same article, Ortland described his experience of speaking. as He's a men's conference speaker. That's part of what he does in his role. And uh, he went and he talked on what he called the doctrine of adoption, which simply means coming into God's family. And listen to his, uh, how he describes this. He said, as a speaker for a men's conference, I was amazed at the effect of the simple message of adoption on men of many ages. In small groups after the sermons, when I shared, men began to share openly how distant their fathers were when the men were growing up. And then I saw men weep as the Spirit applied the healing balm of adoption to their heads and to their hearts. I was moved to be God's instrument as the Spirit began to fill the holes in their hearts of adult men with tender biblical message of coming into God's family. And then he said later, when the three speakers talked informally, we discovered to our surprise that each of us has been unwittingly drawn to adoption because of a lack in our own relationships with our fathers. God used the biblical teaching on sonship to minister to us and through us to others. That's one way relationally we can be healed by this notion of coming into uh, a family of God. We can begin to see those of us men who had something lacking in the relationship with your own father, you can begin to see how much greater, how much deeper the love of God as a father can be experienced through joyfully obeying the father, finding his love through Jesus. So my hope is that you leave here today assured that you have this family-type community with God, especially if you feel hopeless, okay? If you feel hopeless, like you've got no one to turn to, you can turn to him. Practically, you can stop. Or not stop. I do it while I drive sometimes. I'm driving and I'm calling out to God, my Father, and He hears me. Feel scared? Same thing works. You can turn to God, your everlasting, loving Father. This week I had to take one of my children to the doctor to get a shot at the doctor. <laughs> shot at the doctor, that sounds like a Men's retreat game. Shot at the doctor. We didn't shoot doctors on the men's retreat. But I took her there to get a shot. And uh, she was scared, obviously. And at the same time, one of my other children was going off to reading camp. Academic camp to learn to read better. And she was nervous because she had to be on this bus by herself for the first time. Never done it. So she was anxious. And what a joy it was for me to just get out of the way. You know, I'm there as father, but I was able to point them to a father that can be with them. Not only do they have an everlasting father, but they have one who will always be near. And that was an amazing comfort. And it works for big girl stuff too. It works for big boy problems too. Your divorce, your financial debt, your bleak health prognosis, all must be experienced within the context of God's family-style love. So take hope. Take hope this morning. 
that because of what Jesus has done, you are within God's family. Finally, Paul uses one more image here in the text. The image of a temple. Verses 21 and 22, let's explore that. Verse 21 Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, Jesus, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hear the temple talk, temple of the Lord, dwelling place of God. Don't miss that Jesus is the fountain here, a fountain from which flows your experience of community as a temple. Now, what's interesting here, as best we can tell, this phrase, being joined together, hopefully you saw that in the text, being joined together, is a phrase that doesn't show up before Paul, and it doesn't show up in any of the literature until about 100 years after Paul. As best we can tell, Paul made this up. He coined it himself. Being joined together is meant to emphasize, anytime you coin a phrase, you're trying to emphasize something, say it in a unique way so people will get it, Paul is saying being joined together in the original language to emphasize that the Jews and the Gentiles have been knit perfectly and tightly together as you would a construction joint. So the prevailing idea here is that all God's people across all ethnicities can be joined together perfectly and grow into a temple. Now why is he using the temple analogy, especially today in our culture, because we'd never go to a temple, probably. Well, early in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, Eden is presented in language that is meant to say Eden was the perfect sanctuary. God was there. Man was there. They were dwelling together in harmony and peace. Later, God told his people to build after Eden fell. Remember what happened? Access was restricted to Eden. There was an angel there and you couldn't go back in. So after the fall, God instructs his people, you need to build a tabernacle so that we can experience this dwelling together. Later, build a temple and my glory will rest there in a special way so that you can come and experience the Lord God and the prophets After the temple was destroyed, some of the prophets look forward to a time at the end when a glorious temple would be rebuilt and there was water coming out of this vision that they had. There'll be a temple and water symbolizing life will come from this temple. Just like Eden had water, so too will this final temple that the prophets look forward to have water. Well, that's the Old Testament. And then when Jesus arrives... Again, in places like the book of John, it's made very clear that he has come to tabernacle with us. He's come to temple with us. He's come to dwell with us by the Spirit of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And in the book of John, think of the woman at the well. He goes and tells her, I'm living water, you know. I am living water. What was he saying there? The life that the prophets saw coming out of the temple, like Ezekiel 47 and other chapters, that is found only in me. My body is a temple. Jesus identified himself as the ultimate place of community 
with God. And then finally, as he's leaving, he gives his spirit to us, the church. The idea is that we're now all a temple in the sense that we are experiencing the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit together. In a way that the Old Testament saints could only hope for. We are now living in a closeness and intimacy with God by His Spirit, being joined together with all ethnicities in Christ. When I was thinking here about having community in the old, uh, in the Holy Spirit, uh, I was reminded this week of how we, the church, might confront what's been called the deadliest silent cultural epidemic that we face. The deadliest silent cultural epidemic that we face by some sociologists, has been identified as loneliness. Loneliness. The idea is that from loneliness, many other streams of sadness flow. Be it suicide or pain or depression or whatever. How can we confront this? I read an article by a writer named uh, Askos Below, a German name. But he lives in Australia... And he, he was talking about a survey that was done in Australia that said over 60% of the population said they regularly feel alone. They're dominated by the feeling of loneliness. And of course, you may have heard in 2018, very recently, Great Britain appointed a minister of loneliness. Such an epidemic in Great Britain that they appointed an official to deal with loneliness. This writer Askos, he he said that it could be tied to a philosophy of rugged individualism, right? And he says individualism may feel good, at least for a while, but ask anyone who's socially isolated about the impact of this every man, every woman philosophy for themselves, and it's not good. It's not pretty. And then continuing on, Ask us, ask, if we the church should not consider in a very real practical way how we can be counteracting not just physical poverty, but emotionally, emotional poverty that leads to things like loneliness. And he closes his article by saying this, society, and in particular churches, can do much to alleviate loneliness. We need to point to the one who's the ultimate solution to loneliness, Emmanuel, God with us, no matter how lonely or isolated we might feel, God himself is with his people. Bringing comfort and hope to our darkest nights. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Doesn't mean there's an easy fix to the epidemic of loneliness. It does mean we have the solution. And we should access it often. I can't think of a greater hope than to say, God, by the spirit that dwells within you, will never leave your side. Contrast that. If people living in my neighborhood, I was close to, now they're gone. They left. A little lonely without them. The children in your home that your world now revolves around, if all goes well, they'll leave, right? It's a sad reality. And you will be faced with loneliness. 
If all goes wrong, your spouse might leave. Loneliness. Your friend in the church might leave. Your leader in the church might leave and you will be faced with loneliness. What's the answer? It is the Spirit of God within you. Only He knows your deepest thoughts, those things that you're not going to share with anybody. The Spirit knows those already. And He wants to dialogue with you about these things. He wants to hear how these things come and how they matter to you. That is the Holy Spirit's joyful work. The community here is tender, it's true, it's affirming, it's rescuing, and it lasts forevermore. Started the sermon with a Christian song. I want to end it with another Christian song. And it's about the Spirit and His work in us. I'm going to read it again, not sing it. Listen to the lyrics here of this song. O God, the Holy Spirit, eternal one of three, my comforter and teacher, be merciful to me. You hovered over chaos, the land and sea depart, so manifest your power to calm my restless heart. O God, the Holy Spirit, direct me to the cross where I can see the suffering my waywardness has cost. In Jesus' death, please show me the power of my sin and by his life convince me this battle he will win. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, put Jesus on display. Remind me how my Savior took all my guilt away. My sins were all forgiven and satisfaction made. Atonement was completed. My captive soul was saved. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, come deepen and impart these saving, loving lessons upon my desperate heart. That I might loathe my evil and flee from Satan's snares, then run to my Redeemer, And cast on him my cares. Hopefully you can hear. That access to the greatest community. That you ever desired. Can only be found in Jesus. In him we have been given the spirit. And genuine community. Between God and man. Let's pray together.